Welcome to Bleed TV, the podcast for the best shows on TV. And I'm Zach. And I'm Jake. And tonight we're going to hit up uh, a new one, True Detective. This is season two, episode 201. Um, the name of the episode was The Western Book of the Dead. Um, this was directed by Justin Lin, our famous uh, Fast and Furious director. Uh, and of course, the writer was Nick Pizzolatto. Um, what was your thoughts on this one, bro? A lot to take in. Um, kind of wishy-washy on a few of the the plots and stuff like that, just because I feel like they had to explain and you know give a little bit of introduction to all the characters that'll play a part in this, which is several. So, um, but with all that all that said, I, I really enjoyed it so far. Um, I mean, it's not like much to brag about yet. Because we don't know where it's going just yet, and what characters we're going to hate or like, or you know, want to not see as much screen time with, and and to be honest, it's just an intro. So it's, I'm a little nervous because Fukunaga's not involved this season, and he was pivotal, obviously, last season. Um, I know he's put on there as a producer, but from what I understand, they had a falling out. Uh, Pizzolatto and he and you can kind of tell because some of the Pizzolatto interviews after last year's first season and he didn't really give any of the credit to Fukunaga for the show's success so he seems a little petty possibly and I worry that the quality could come down a little bit without Fukunaga attached but I did look at a list of some of the directors and they're all fantastic you know as far as I can tell, as far as credits and stuff. Well, that's good. Um, you know, my thoughts are is that, <clears throat> unfortunately, I think I'm like, you know, the majority of people who watch this show is that you have high expectations based on last season, you know, because you have such amazing, uh, it was great directing, it was phenomenal acting out of Woody and uh, McConaughey and so on. And so I really tried to go into this episode with a clear conscience and a clear set point. And I really enjoyed it. I know that this first one had to do a lot of setup and I felt like it was going to give us a few punches of excitement to really get us tantalized. And I think it delivered on those things. Um, you know, there was a couple of shocking scenes and man, a ton of feedback about one or two parts of it. I can't wait to get into that. Um, but overall, I think it was a great setup. I think it was a great way to roll into it. I think it was a lot of information compressed into an hour because we're dealing with four main characters instead of two like last time. And I think that was the one difference in the dynamic um, that made this, you know, a little not as good as well as in this episode. Of course, they put the punchline at the end of the episode where in the first season the punchline was when you walked right in. You immediately see where we're headed, you know, and gives you a plot point. And then they introduce characters as the story goes along. This one, they went ahead and gave you background on everybody. And then you figured out what the plot was, you know. So, um, different angle, different approach. I'm okay with it. Um, I'm excited to see where it's going to go from here. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad with it, honestly. 
because as much as I absolutely loved the first season of True Detective, I didn't want a continuance. You know, I like the anthology style. I like the fact that I'm going to get a new story every year with new top tier actors. As long as this show is successful this year, and, you know, I know there's a lot of criticism about it so far, one episode in, or if you're a paid critic, you've been three episodes. But every critic I've heard so far has said the first episode is kind of a slog, but then second and third it picks up and gives you some more excitement. Okay, oh, yeah, it's so, going to get juicier as it goes. Right. So. I don't like too much comparison to the first season. I understand where it comes from because, I mean, it was very polarizing. But, I mean, I look forward to this new cast and what it brings, you know, and this new direction that's going. Um, I'll admit I like a little bit darker and a little more horror type stuff. So I think the first season's, like you say, opening scene of a naked girl with horns and, you know, well, it really sets the hook. You know what I mean? Like, that's right, what it, I really enjoyed about it. And I guess my curious thing is, is the previews before this uh, season started and kind of the write-ups about it were that it was another occult-style murder and surrounding a railroad-type you know, contracts and things like that. So I was expecting something in the vein of a chick with antlers and little devil traps hanging from trees and... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, assuming that that was what I was going to get, but in a different style, instead I get what looks like a old man with his eyes cut out, and that's it. You know? Yeah, they went to the end. So, I mean, it was it was a different approach. Right, and we haven't gotten an autopsy on this guy yet. They still don't know the cause of death. Uh, maybe it's something crazy. Maybe they pull up snakes out of his body or something. I have no idea. Right. You know? Well, there is, a, like I said, a ton uh, in this rundown, and I, I'm, we're going to go through it quickly because this show, if you don't realize, man, it went through tons and tons and tons of material and different things to do so much setups. So we're going to do our best to run through it. Uh, another thing is, that I know if a lot of people noticed this, we even got some emails about this, is that they didn't give you the names of any of the main characters until mainly towards the very end. Uh, you, now, you'll get Vince Vaughn's character, Frank, um, pretty early in the season, but uh, the rest of the characters characters you really don't find out who their real name is or their full name until basically right at the end um so when we're we're going through this i'm going to do my best to go by the actor's first name and remind you you know that hey what they're called by in the show to kind of help y'all go through this um a good example is that colin farrell his character is ray uh, velcoro um you know if i said ray you might or might know but anyway rachel mcadams is annie uh bezarides is what we're going with on this one uh unique last name uh taylor kitsch is paul woodrow vince vaughn is frank uh, salmon and um of course uh there's a few other characters but those are your four main ones we're going to roll with that you're going to be able to tell through um but i'm, I'm ready to go to the rundown if you are yeah, man. let's get into it bear with us on the names and stuff yeah bear with us man yeah uh, you know i might be calling them colin or vince and y'all know who we're talking about and that'll probably be just the same way y'all are calling them too exactly um first of all the intro uh coming in amazing um Fantastic Barry, again. t-bone burnett again delivers a very very unique eccentric um kind of out of bounds not your norm and it made me excited you know because it's like that's kind of how the first season ran and i was like yes we're following very similar blueprints this is what i'm gonna like this is what i'm gonna enjoy um and so uh, i was digging it and, oh i loved it and there was a lot of build-up actually and excitement for these two people it's i know it's t-boone but 
I can't for the life of me remember the girl that's singing in a row at that. But there's a lot of excitement for them too because they work together to make the soundtrack for this. You know, awesome. Working up to the season. Um, awesome. Some other interesting credits in the opening credits was is that uh, Woody Harrelson and McConaughey were producers on this one. Um, I'm going to agree with my brother here, that which means they probably threw a little money that way, and then that was it. <laughs> you know. No, I bet there wasn't a single dime even thrown that way. But it, matter of fact, I bet they got some money uh, just to have their name attached to it. Probably. Um, okay. Same thing with Fukunaga. You know, he's not involved, but he's executive producer too. So. You know, keep those big names from first season just to fluff up this season. Nothing like good fluff. Yeah. Um, the show opens up with kind of a nice little sunrise, and you see Colin Farrell talking serious. You think he might be talking to another police officer, but no, he's talking to his kid. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. This kid looks nothing like him. I mean, it's not even the same ballpark. Well, once you get his backstory and his little flashback that we get, I'm going to go ahead and say this is more than likely not his kid. Yeah, this is uh, – so evidently he's trying to motivate his son to go on out there, first day of school. This is evidently the chubby fat kid who gets teased a lot. I mean, uh, he's ginger. Yeah. He's chubby. Poor bastard. I mean, he has most things working against him. Well, I I don't have all those qualities when I was growing up, but I was pretty dang close, so I know exactly what this man's feeling like. So uh, – it's not a. It's a daunting feeling getting out of that car. Making that first step's a big deal. I think they did a good job of showing his like angst and stuff. He got out. His shirt was a little too short. You know, you see him. He pulled it down. That's a common fat kid trope. You know, yeah. where how about the shirt the, just doesn't fit. Credit to the actor there. I think the oh, kid did a phenomenal for a kid actor. Yeah, money in the bank. Absolutely, absolutely. He looks yeah. terrified, just like a lot of us were going the first day of school. You know? Yeah, I'm. I gave it kudos. Um, of course, you can see some punks kind of teasing him as he walks up to the car. Immediately. You know, um, I thought that was just going to be a little side thing, da, 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 nothing to it. It comes out, it comes. It gives us a good payday <laughs> later, but yeah. uh, uh, it rolls right into Colin sitting in the McConaughey chair of an interview. Did you, did you see that? You know how the, the camera view, and just like they were interviewing McConaughey in season one, they put him down and he starts talking, but it, evidently he's speaking to his a new lawyer uh, trying to get his uh, – uh, he wants more child uh, time. He wants more you know, time with his kid and, and talking to a lawyer, trying to grease the wheels with cash. Uh, you know, it was some good little dialogue there. It was quick to the point. Yeah, I think it – you know, I think it's just an easy way of exposition, you know, kind of giving some of his background, some of the story involved with – his ex-wife obviously had you know been raped and you know it just so happens he had a a baby nine months after the rape so it's a possibility that it was the rapist child um but he had never asked for paternity test or anything like that he said that's my son you know i raised him he's my son right it gives you his motives and which is is a good thing right and in a way it's like that's a really awesome trait to have you know to, oh, yeah. to want to raise that kid now you see later on the episode that his fathering skills are lacking atrocious devastatingly <laughs> attractive <laughs> anyway the lawyer uh says i don't know about this he slides her some cash she accepts the case and of course um and she says you know is there anything i need to be worried about in your history and he's like nope i welcome judgment i thought this was one of the best lines of the entire show I think it was right on the money. Way good start out. 
Um, and then does a flashback. You don't realize this is a flashback until later, until you see Colin all young and at heart. But you see Vince at the uh, bar or club area and um, just talking and drinking, and Colin Farrell walks in all young. Shaved, no mustache. Right. And um, he comes on in, and, you know, he just – you kind of get the whole details of his wife was raped and kind of beaten and – uh, you can see the angst in his face, and uh, Vince just kind of gives him a little sheet of paper with a, some, you know, a name and a face, and of who it is, and I had nothing to do with it, and don't want nothing for it, but I might ask something to you later, you know. Um, Classic organized crime, you know, guy on the inside with a cop, you know, do him a favor, ask for nothing in return, you know, but make a friend, basically. Exactly. Um, you know, and so it kind of lets you know where Colin Farrell or Ray's character is going, you know, what kind of person he is based on these two incidents. You know, within three quick couple minutes, you see him with a kid, a lawyer, flashback. So you get a really good quick background of him, who he's going to be, what kind of character he's going to be. Right. You could see how fast this could go downhill for him. Exactly. Whether he came in to be a cop, you know, with altruistic or whatever, you know, high ideals once your wife gets raped and beaten and all that and you know he's not found immediately but then a you know organized crime boss comes and tells you hey i know who he is i know where he is you know here it is it's like i mean once you do that and you go vigilante there's really no turning back at that point well when you really think about it he tells the lawyer they never found the guy but then you find out he knew who he was and where he was located. So I'm waiting for that flashback where you see him. I am too. Torture and beat the shit out of this guy, and just they're going to do it. They're, I mean, and they're going to show it, and it's going to be bloody, and I can't wait. Drooling. Absolutely, because you can tell he's a violent dude. Very, very violent. Love it, love it. Uh, quick flash to Vince back at the house. This is, looks like it's current. He's meet with his, you meet his wife for the first time. Um, you know, he didn't sleep. You can tell he's anxious about this big deal coming up. We find out later, um, you know, and then it continues to move on. It, and it keeps showing these flashes of this industrial area, you know, these smoke pipes and uh, high industry or whatever. And the um, freeway. Haven't quite figured out what's going on with that yet. Um I don't. I don't think it's much to to think into. If you look back at season one with Fukunaga, he was big into cinematography. He's a big time cinematographer, and he was able to just take static shots and things like that of, you know, the Louisiana and the swamps. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the difference. Like when you were talking about earlier in season one, there was a lot more appeal because it was something you don't typically see on TV. Right now we're back in L.A. You know, or something right by it, and it's yeah. a very similar. You know every other show but you see they're they're not showing any of the glitz and glam of the city they're only showing the grimy parts you know well you come to find out this whole deal vince vaughn's character you know frank he's a a power player in a small town in california Uh, whatever this um uh, vinci is what it's called yeah um v-i-n-c-i um you know and there's even a scene coming up where you see him he uh, he talks to the guy and come to find out through investigation that's the mayor. They don't even sh- they don't even tell you that, but that's his, that's the mayor. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, but uh, you know he, uh, you know, 
So it goes from showing going into this casino. He's having a meeting with his men, and they're talking about the newspaper and how it's going to be an eight-part series on corruption and crime, a vice in the area. And this threatens whatever the big deal is that he's anxious about. And uh, the wife kind of tells the guy who's acting, you know, his right-hand man, you know, kind of an idiot at the time. You know, everybody gets touched when, you know, they want to cross the line or, you know, in, in this business, everybody has that. And, you know, and I think that's uh, I think that's another good line, and uh, you know, it leads you to where it's going with the episode. Right, you just see the corporate corruption, and like everybody's hands are dirty, and if this newspaper article comes out, we all get touched, you know, and it can get nasty and ruin everything. So, right. uh, cuts away, and it shows this long, dark Cadillac beside a building or a house. Uh, you see someone getting put into a car with glasses on, get in, and then they start driving away and lead up onto the highway. Did they show the driver? No. Gosh. The driver is the bad guy. I understand that, but for some reason I felt like I saw the driver. No, they don't. Now all you see is glimpses of him with his head up and these glasses over his eyes. But you couldn't even tell he was dead yet. I know it. He, you know, I didn't... I didn't get that. You know, I know later you see a car turn and his head falls to the side. And you're like, okay, well, now I've kind of determined he's dead. But before that, you just thought guys are riding stiff, you know? Yeah, he's just an old dude that gets chauffeured around. Exactly. I, You know, I didn't get that vibe at all. And I think they maybe did that on purpose. And so I'm okay with that. It's kind of a weekend at Bernie's type of deal. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, cuts away to Rachel McAdams' character, um, Annie, or... Um, walks out in her cute little behind and some panties and a t-shirt and a uh, fellow comes out behind her and evidently they've had a good, good little evening they had to go through some dialogue and you kind of figure out that uh, he's sweet on her but she ain't interested that she just needed a little booty call uh, uh, you get say, that vibe too? well you say a good little evening but um, she didn't get what she wanted because he freaked out about something she asked for because he was like, you like that? She's like, every once in a while. Huh, I didn't catch like, that. Like, maybe she's into... Like maybe some she's sadist or something? 50 bondage or something. Yeah, who knows? I mean, but he was he had a poor reaction, which ruined the whole yeah. event. That, which is why true. she didn't want to talk about it and, you know, didn't give a damn if she, he's super into her or not. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, she, she, you immediately got the vibe. She's not digging men unless it's for her own pleasure. Yeah, I feel like she has to have the, um, the power. You know. Yeah. Now, did you notice the apartment was covered in weapons? Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, there was knives and so on, and there was even a paddle on that wall. And now that you tell me that, that makes more sense now. You, know, you go back in there, right below all them knives and all that stuff like that, there was this long wooden shot, and it was a paddle. It wasn't no nightstick or nothing like that. <laughs> Homegirl might be a little freaky. Um, which, hey, more to you. Um, goes right to where you see her going to work, and then she's with a, um, a squad, and they're doing a house break-in. They bust up into the door, um, you know, what looks to be they're they're you know tearing you know breaking down a sex shop or maybe illegal prostitution or whatever. Yeah, it's all cam girls. Instead, it's just a legal business cams and you know video porn and da 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 da. And then you find out her sister is in the house is one of the videotapers. You know they go outside with her extremely bright wig and. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, they go through their dialogue and kind of bust up Rachel a little bit. And I'm a performer, you know, you know, give you a break. You know, uh, it's just one of those things, you know. Yeah, but, I think this was kind of an embarrassment for her. Oh, yeah. In a way. And in, two different, in two different ways. Embarrassing that she took a tip and it ended up being legitimate business. And it's embarrassing that her sister ends up being in there. Oh, yeah. It's one of the workers. Right. And... And you kind of see like a harsh, you know, shitty side to Annie because she's busting her sister up, telling her maybe she'd get back on drugs. Yeah, it'd be better than what porn. you're doing. Yeah. Which but I was yeah. kind of like, eesh. Yeah. That was, Poor family dynamic. Yes. This is obvious. <laughs> this is very obvious. Um, it goes back to Colin uh, Farrell's character, Ray. Um, outside of the car. Looks like he pulls up a parking ticket off his windshield. Couldn't tell. He balls it up and throws it away. He cuts it up. Oh, yeah. He tears it in half. And um, Comes in. He's talking to some other police officers. Looks like it's uh, his immediate boss and another suit. Um, the guy in the suit, <clears throat> you know, he's played in a lot of stuff. I, um, he was the bad guy in Count of Monte Cristo and a few other good movies. He's been around um, – he, uh, the bad guy in Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. Remember, he's the one who had his dad assassinated. Um, he was the politician, not not the guy who betrayed him. Okay, I was going to say, I was like, eh, that's <laughs> not right. You talking about the time traveler? No, no, no. Prometheus? <laughs> um, anyway, they're... Um, they just start discussing how a uh, city official, the city manager, a politician, a guy named Casper is missing. He hadn't been to work in a couple of days. Um, you know, and they kind of decide to give Colin Farrell's character, Ray, the assignment to figure out where he is and what's going on. The pressure's kind of coming on. And he, you can obviously, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want this assignment. You know, he, he's not digging it. You know, and they assign him to a partner he doesn't want to deal yeah. with either oh yeah his partner douche i mean yeah you see this guy? just a sloth uh, a suit sweaty suit that collects a check okay i i, I missed some of this dialogue when they when he's first sitting down talking to what looks like the captain and another suit like you're saying but it, it felt like to me that was these were other dirty cops to me and like i said i missed the dialogue so i couldn't tell but it almost looked like a little buddy meeting to me and they were putting him in charge of it because it's important i got that same vibe it's like uh, they have their fingers in the pudding too and there's an invested investment that casper is basically the man you go through for anything and like they got a they got a they got a stake in this and they need we need to find him yeah and, and we, we need, need to, to be the ones to find him yeah we need one of our guys to find it that's what i felt like and maybe that's vibe maybe that's totally off base but that's what i felt like i don't think so i think it, i think you're on point especially when you when you see the preview later and we talk about there's a couple of little details that makes you go right down that path so i think okay. on money um then it goes to uh, Taylor Kitch's character, Paul. Um, it's on this motorcycle with these enormous ear pads on this helmet. Did you notice? I mean, like, it barely shows his nose and eyes. Well, he has, a is narrow, he has a narrow face. Yeah. So he had to have one of those helmets custom modified. With, yeah. It was just, you know. You ever seen football players with those little oh, tiny heads? Oh, my gosh. The, and they're just the banging around. The double cheek pads. Yeah, yeah the double cheek pads. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Quite embarrassing. Uh, going down the highway, and you can tell us the you know the coastal highway uh, in California. Um, all of a sudden, this red convertible just 
bust on out there. Just barreling out. <laughs> you know, the whole, uh, and of course, you know, he pulls it over, and uh, this uh, cliche of a Lindsay Lohan uh, actress in a car, you know. Ankle bracelet. Ankle bracelet. I live real close by. Uh, maybe we could trade something. Da, da. You know, and I, I'm thinking, where's this show going to go right here? Is it going to be clean cut or is it going to be boning this one, you know, to get rid of a ticket? And um, evidently he does the right thing and it still gets boned for it. You know, yeah. she's claiming that he wanted a, you know, a blowjob to let it go and all this and. He's putting on administrative leave to investigate. Yeah, because the tabloids are blowing it up. And yeah, and for, when you see when he walks out of the office too, it's like uh, say it is so. Yeah. So the so other guys are true, ribbing right? her, yeah. ribbing him because I guess he's like super straight lace. You know, just does everything by the book, which sounds right from a military background. You know, he even says "sir, yes, sir." Uh, yeah. To his captain, you know, before he leaves and stuff. You know, so it's. And he had also had the comment like we we were fighting for America or something like that. He's like, I know you were, son. You know, so I guess he's kind of patriotic in a way, or yeah, he, he uh, seems kind of like a scorn, kind of like the guys coming back from Vietnam were the guys today coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. You know how they don't really know or don't have conflicting opinions on why they were fighting. You know, so I think. I, there's no way to look cool being a biker cop. Yeah. So even though he wants it, I'm, I'm only good on the highway. I'm no good to you. I need know, my bike. Sidelines. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, he's putting his know. plea out there. We're gonna see. I'm just saying, I like him better without the bike helmet and stuff on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the bike helmet needs to go. Yeah. Um, it goes to where Vince is going back to, I guess, the casino. And there's this big formal gathering, and people are dressed up, and so on. And shakes hands with a few people, and then he walks over to this grubby fellow who's in a lot of like that. And I watched it, and I was like, "Holy crap! He's almost molesting this woman who's oh yeah, he's squeezing the hell out of her ass. I mean, he is like got hands deep, almost spooning. You know, it's it's crazy. And she looks quite uncomfortable. Oh yeah, Uh, my wife's like, "What are you talking about? I didn't see none of that." I was like. This is what you call a keen eye of a man oh, right yeah. here. Keen eye. And, uh, and of course, I had to rewind it for her and show her. And she's like, oh, that is just, what, this giant party. And he's got it, you know, he's grubbing her. I was like, babe, what's grubbing? You know, she's, he, you know, I was like, we're not going to go there. And <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and so, that you know, they have a little dialogue. That guy is actually the mayor of this little podunk town. Uh, his name is Mayor Austin. Da, 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 da. It's a really weird, unique last name. Couldn't tell you. With a lot of characters in the show. Uh, we're just going to call him Mayor Austin. Um, Mayor anyway, Grubby they talk hands. about, hey, have you seen Casper? No, no one has. And then they raise a glass to somebody at the bar. You not really get an idea who it is. And they don't elaborate. And then just move on. Um, and then it moves on to Colin interviewing the lady about uh, Casper. Um, you know, like, do you have any enemies? Oh, the secretary. Yeah, yep. the secretary. He's like, when's the last time you saw him? Da, 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 da. And then he kind of hits with a good quick list of properties. She's like, oh, I guess it's okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, the suit, sweatsuit, finally gets up there and goes, yeah, we'll come with the police, you know. Um, Thanks for your contribution. <laughs> his contribution. <laughs> Sad thing is, he made more money for that one line than, you know, <laughs> we've done for a couple months. But anyway, um, of course, you know, it, 
it shows them go up to one of these houses and it's a big old big you can tell it's a big old mansion somewhere in the hills and uh they they how about the uh skills to get in the door there colin fair has got some skills huh yeah he's old ray clearly a dirt bag yeah I mean. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so he buzzed up in the house you walk in immediately you can tell this house has had some fun in it but it's also been ransacked Naked pictures everywhere, paintings, dildos, every room, yeah, it's, bags full of them. I mean, this is a house of some fun, you know, for some folks. Uh, yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, somebody was having fun. This place was ransacked, things were missing, you know, sweatsuit cop, you know, he uh, he, he goes, well, the computer's missing, you know, and... Uh, Colin goes, well, you know, this isn't us. This isn't our. We need to treat this like a, a some number or prefix, which is a kidnapping. 209, I think yeah. So he can, you know, so he's not involved. So we try to print this place down. You know, he's like, maybe we can catch a print, da, da, da. I'm looking at that place going. Yeah, you're going to find a shitload of prints. Yeah, they're going to find a lot of lady folk prints. And yeah, other and a lot of them are going to be on those dildos and pocket vaginas you saw <laughs> scattered around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this guy's so. the private owner of the fleshlight company yeah Ugh. goes back to vince vaughn's character old frank um and he meets a fella um this is the one of the bad guys off the last season of sons of anarchy his his name is um last name is murphy he's an actor but his name in the show uh, isop isop yes isop uh just Jake and I just freaking love this guy. He does Ossip. a phenomenal job. Asip is his name, not Isip. Asip, um, uh, phenomenal actor. Uh, just he doesn't have to say anything, and you just get a kind of a cringe in the way he smiles and carries himself. He's so weathered, yeah, perfectly to be a villain. You know what I mean? He has like all the perfect lines. It's like Clint Eastwood. In the, in the western days mm-hmm. it's like his skin just mapped itself perfectly with wrinkles to make him look intimidating and perfect for westerns this guy's perfect for villainy yes like i said you don't even say nothing you just look at him and oh you know uh it cuts away and you see uh what we've established now is casper in the cadillac and it makes a turn and you see his head fall against the windshield and you make the evaluation that he ain't doing so good. Yeah, he's Bernie. Yeah, uh, he's done. Um, uh, goes keeps moving quickly. Rachel uh, McAdams' character Annie um, and her partner are. This is one part I didn't understand at all. They are dropping foreclosure eviction notices to to this house out in the middle of nowhere. Um, come in and there's a guy sleeping in a chair a woman's cleaning dishes and they have this 50 or 60 inch plasma TV with uh, big expensive video games on it serving a foreclosure notice to get out this this scene seemed misplaced and unnecessary I just didn't get this at all okay first off I've never heard of cops serving foreclosure notices ever I've heard of cops having to become to get um, to handle evictions and people who fight it. Yeah, for the people that won't leave, you know, squatters and stuff like that that you got to get out. Um, but this is totally new. And also weird, too, because they're obviously on. No, I guess I'll take that back. They're really not on any mission. 
they're not on anything right now. Their raid failed, and they're just kind of out doing what they're supposed to do, I guess. That's what I say. Like, this makes no sense. But then there's a missing person, right? She talks about she hadn't seen her sister in a week or a month or something like that. And it's like, okay, immediately they start going to her previous jobs. and so yeah, like, like, I thought this has, was a little bit off. Here, here's, my, here's my thought, and I might be completely off. I think the whole thing was a whole setup just to show Rachel McAdams' character appeal to a woman not getting justice. And so she just, just takes it upon herself to try to take a part of that. And that leads into the part where, and because of that whole dialogue and stuff, it leads to her meeting her dad at this commune and everything else. So it introduces those characters. It introduce, It is just a really weird setup to make up more setup of her background of his character. Right, but I gotta assume that this missing woman's gonna come into play later. I have to assume. I don't that. know. I don't think they put stuff in for no reason. You know, they even showed her picture. I, I hear you. I just, I think it was more or less just a way to have these characters collide and give background. I think it's thin. Uh, I don't. I don't see a resolution to it at all. Okay, but why have them serve foreclosure notices? That's what I'm getting at. I think it's a. I think it was a misprint. I think it was a mess up. I think it was a oops. I shouldn't have done that. I can't say that in the first episode. I got to think all this stuff is linked. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll definitely see. Um, you know, and so this, this they, they talk about, you know, while she's talking to that woman, she talks about that, hey, she cleaned herself up and went to this religious place da, 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 and gives you some background about where they're going to go. Um, later on in the what show. was the name of it do you remember the name of the <sighs> something institute right panties institute it was pantheon Pan- something like that it was god we should know these names yeah uh don't get me started um let's keep rolling vince uh comes in there and he's at that same little party in Suarez there at the casino and he decides to give a little speech to the crowd about the development and it gives you the details to the big deal that he was trying he's trying to close that Casper's missing out on um, and it's a uh, high speed rail system and they want it to come through their town um, and so they can get all these federal cost overtures and which basically just spells out a you know all these multi-million dollar contracts federal money attached and it'll make a lot of folks rich if they're in the developments of this area for that because they the properties they've bought would be the federal government will have be paying for plus some you know because they consider them part of the infrastructure of this small town thus making these people big money right and see and this is what i'm saying with the previous scene with the foreclosures and stuff I got to assume that these foreclosures are these high up people gentrifying this area, basically buying up all the properties, shoving people out of their homes because they need all the property they can around where this railroad's going to come through. It's possible. And Uh, if they, like we said, if there's dirty people in the police departments, you know, as far as even a captain is concerned or a chief of police, and they're having them serve the foreclosures or stuff like that, whatever. You know, I could see that easily being a part of it. Right. Uh, maybe so. Maybe it makes the big connection. I hope so. I hope you're right. Um, uh, Rachel visits the 
you know, the com- commune, whatever you want to call it. And this, David Morris is the character, uh, is the actor who plays her dad, Elliot Bazzaretti's or whatever, uh, with the hippie look or Moses look. Uh, it's kind of really surprised me. It's kind of shocking it, to see him with the long gray hair. I didn't. Is it sad to say that I felt like it was a poor job of what he looked like? It didn't look real to me. It just, you know, it just had this, it looked like the elephant in the room when you looked at him. You know what I mean? Like, you know, nobody wants to really say it, but you do not look what they're trying to portray. You think that maybe they were like trying too hard or something? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think you had to go with the super long hair and same length beard and, it just looked really fake. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I really like the actor. He's, I think the actor is phenomenal. I mean, I think David Morris is one of the best guys out there. Every anything back from Green Mile and on, the guy is just a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. And um, I just, I didn't like. I, I hate to say this. I think he's a fantastic actor, but for the part they've that they're trying to personify like that, he's not it. So maybe an actor wasted on this part? Yes. I, I completely... Gotta hold out, though, man. Like I said, the, a lot of the criticism, this is the first episode. I know. But, you know, it's just his look and when he's speaking and the dialogue they have, it just... It doesn't tote the note for me. Yeah, uh, he's he's very, like, Tony Robbins. Um, yeah, I just... Buddha... It you just, know. he doesn't have that persona. And the way he was dressed, the way they had it done, the way he dialogue, it was, it was like cliche. I don't know. It, it just, it didn't, it didn't do me right. Um, um, he talks, you know, of course he talks to her, her dad, Elliot, again about, you know, the sister and he gives his definition and, you know, different world persuasivism and he gives a, a date, you know, where his, his, you know, your mother left us. It wasn't any way around and. Um, you know, he gives some background, and and then basically he spells out word for word that she's angry at the world and every man in it based on what's happened to her in in life. She compares every man to her dad, right? And that's usually in a negative light. And you know, she also asked about the missing woman, and he said that he may have seen her once wandering the grounds, but never in a meeting of any kind or anything like that. So. Right. Um, does a quick flash of cops processing Casper's house, you know, taking pictures and collecting stuff. And then it grows, continues moving fast and goes to Colin Farrell's character, Ray, um, sitting in a car, drinking, um, having him some good little whiskey there, uh, you know, tipping it up, tipping it up. And he's just kind of surveying the area, not the best area in town. You see somebody smoking, looks maybe doing drugs. And then you see this little piece of crap, foreign two door car pull up. And you see Ray's, you know, pull up a picture of um, Dan Hauer, the writer. Um, yeah, chief writer of that story. Yeah, chief writer of the Vice story, the eight-part series about, you know, corruption and crime and so on. Um, you see Colin Farrell put on a couple, you know, thick gloves, you know. You know, uh, well, not what I was expecting. And I was like, oh, crap, we're going to see that scene from the previews here. Yeah, this- he walks out puts the ski mask on, and he's like – the old shh and I was like oh hell yeah (laughs) this was our first taste of like awesomeness into the entire episode he runs up into that place and 
They don't show it, which I was disappointed, man. I was wanted them to. I wanted them to go into the place and show him beating the crap out of him. I really wasn't, man. I really loved the way this was filmed, and because I, I knew like the blinds and stuff, I was, I was like, either somebody's gonna come flying out that window, yeah. or they're gonna at least show like a. And they did. They showed his back imprint, just like smacking it, smacking it. Oh yeah, yeah. And you can, you can hear the, the lumps he's taking, you know. Oh yeah. I, I thought like, this was filmed excellent, you know, on a the tripod, just looking at that window. I, you know, it get, your mind makes the scene better than what you see. You know. I I really do think this was excellent. I love the scene, and was super surprised that the ski mask scene was in the first episode. In the first episode. Yeah. I thought it'd be like third, fourth, or it'd be a central part of the plot line later or something. Nah. Colin Farrell comes out and blowing and going on this. You know, I got to be honest. Most of the stuff in the trailer was in this episode. It was. There's some scenes that weren't, but a lot of the stuff was. You're absolutely right. Um. So, uh, it continues moving on. Um, you see Colin Farrell come back to the school with this brand new sleeping bag, and uh, he sees his kid, and you can tell he's he's a little off kilter. Um, yeah. The kid's scared of him and starts, you know, and this, I guess this is stepdad, you know, that comes up there and goes, uh, the camping trip was last week, you know, you yeah, douche. Yeah, you missed it. You yeah. know. Are you drunk? Yeah, you drunk? <laughs> he's you know? wearing shoes. Are you drunk? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay, da, da, da. And he looks down, where are your shoes? Where are your damn shoes? You know, and he's just going off the handle and the kid's freaking out. Oh, lost. I didn't wear them. Da, da, da. Where are your damn shoes? He says, you know, uh. I find liars for a living, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, then you hear this guy once in a while, you been drinking again? You got blood on your sleeve? Is that, you know, is that blood on your sleeve? random questions, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he's still on, shoes, the shoes, the shoes, you know? And uh, finally he comes out there and says, well, you know, he left him in his locker. And the guy comes over and goes, well, some kid shredded him. And he's like, give me a name. Give me a damn name, you know. Well, I got three or I'll pull your ass, you know, your pants I'll pull down. your pants down and whip your ass in front of the cheerleading squad. <laughs> he's like, yeah. And uh, he's like, get off of him. You know, he slaps his hand away. And da, 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 da. And he gets to three and he finally tells him, you know, Aspen something. He goes, that's a boy's that's name. A boy's name? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the whole time I was like, this is so wrong. Man, this is just. Dude, it's horrible. It is. Ho- it's appalling. What yeah. He goes from one scene where he's badass and he's beating the crap out of somebody, ski mask, just an awesome setup, to a completely appalling father. Uh, hold on, though. This is a guy, a dirty cop, beating up a journalist. It's not like it's an awesome scene. It's not like he's a good person. It's like, oh man, this is a, this right. is a real superhero beating up a this bad guy. This is a heart thr- you know, heart thumping action scene that I was enjoying immensely. Okay, well, let's let's tone down his character though. This is a, a shit heel blow. But man, his treatment of his possible son. Um, That's his son. You didn't hear what he said earlier. It's brutal, honestly brutal. But it's yeah, so, I feel sorry for this kid. I felt bad because. There's levity thrown in it too. Like I laughed at the that's a boy's name. Yeah, you know, <laughs> out of nowhere. I was just like, oh man, I shouldn't have laughed. You know, this yeah. is horrible treatment of a child. And of course, the guy grabs the kid away and just looks at him and goes, asshole, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just so random. <laughs> and you can tell this guy's like a, a douchey tightwad. Oh, yeah, uh, real stink. manscaped and yeah, his stuff don't stink. You know, yeah. that kind yeah. of fella. Anyway, wife's uh, clearly moved on to greener pastures. <laughs> um, 
goes back to what looks to be the police station. Get a little bit of male nudity going on here. Some shower scene, da da da. You see Rachel McAdams' character Annie at the locker, uh, sliding her her secret knife into her belt. All of her weapons. You know, she's got all these little she's extras got, and doodads. She's got a belt knife. She's got a back pocket knife. She's got her pistol. She's got a boot knife. Oh yeah. And my guns. Yeah. <laughs> and my pythons. You know, if you if you saw some of the previews, there's a scene where she has a knife and she's attacking a dummy with all these knife moves. They didn't play it this scene, so we're probably gonna see it coming up down the road. Yeah. Um then it goes back to Taylor Kitch's character where he's evidently coming he's coming into an apartment. At first you think it's his home, but it's not. You find out later this is his girl on the side or girl, friend, whatever. Um, comes in and, you know, has a little conversation and talking and she, you know, ooh, I need you and da 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 da. He's like, Well let me go to the bathroom and clean up. I know quick shower and da 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 I'm like, what red blooded American is gonna tell her no and, and go to the shower first. Yeah. Um and then you find out why. Um homeboy's got some pretty nasty scars, different like that, and then he needs the blue pill. Uh, I thought this was a really cool character moment. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Well, um, I had a left field. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Well, this is the youngest, looks to be most fit guy. Da, da, da. So, Assuming most virile. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it kind of gave you some insight that there's some issues, you know. And then you see him. He's got these, you know, burn scars and really nasty scars on his arm and you definitely tell he's been through war, you know, or you know, hell on earth before, for something. And well, uh, you know, she she asked him about the scars, and what happened? At, it was at war, and he said no, it was before the war. So he has some kind of scars from his childhood or something. You got some emotional going on here, and you think and, that's exactly the kind of kids that join the military a lot of times. The kids that have the horrible childhood, so they join the military too find a new family basically and to run away from their problems kind of um and then if you become you know disenchanted with the military you're really dealing with some emotional scars along with your physical scars you know? yeah i mean you could you could come up with some theories of why he's taking the blue pill he could be wounded it could be depression it oh could, i think it's 100 percent emotional baggage yeah i mean you know he's taking that because he's impotent you know for whatever it is it's he could be depressed because he's impotent, or he could be impotent because of depression. You could, you could, you could go to a hundred directions. And honestly, when he comes out, even though he's, he's got the towel wrapped around him and she's going down on him, he's not enjoying it. He doesn't look like he's enjoying it. No, he just kind of leans his head to the side. and It's like he's going through the motions, you know, but he's like a like a zombie. You know what I'm thinking about this character is I don't think he sleeps. That's what I'm kind of gathering, because he's never stayed the night with her. Um... He's always got something going on. He, You know, you see from the motorcycle scene, he has kind of a death wish. Um, I think he's maybe like an insomniac type of dude, you know? Very true. It's very possible. Um, I don't know. It, like that, they have all the four characters. You know, I don't... Him and, you know, Frank, Vince Vaughn's character, they give you the least about those two, you know? They give you more about the other ones. And so yeah, I think we got more character development with him, especially since I think he's going to kind of be the loner of the group, you know, uh, when it comes to the main plot line down the road. Yeah. Um, you know, Vince, it goes back to Vince Vaughn's character, Frank, and they're having a drink with, uh, what's the guy's name again? See if you remember. Awesome. Awesome. 
and you know talking about you know and Ossip's not giving him the the signs or the you know the cues that it's all a done deal you know and so he asked for a minute and everybody leaves and he's like you know I thought you were coming here to close and he's like well yeah I am I'm doing my due diligence I'm gonna check things out and kind of hits him with a right hook and tells him well I look forward to meeting Casper you know and then walks away um, giving Fitz the old glass, you know, like he's definitely in control, you know, and Fitz is definitely looking eager and not what he wanted to be looking like. Right. I think this is a guy that Vince was probably equal to. Like he says, this dude was a hell of a, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s, this guy was unreal. But now that Vince has gone trying to go legit and stuff like that, he's not as uh, a monster like he was probably. And this guy was probably his equal. But now that guy is still, you know, on the dark side and it's kind of power tripping Vaughn. Oh, yeah. In this. I love the lines like we're gonna make money like our generations don't even know where it came from it's so much, you know, it's you know Yeah family just, stuff. I like this dynamic of I could see Vince Vaughn it's character. I, I hate calling it Vince Vaughn. I want another name so well. Frank. But Frank. Um, having that urge to get pulled back to the dark side because he don't want to deal with this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was his This was his meal ticket. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could see if this doesn't go through, him doing some dark stuff to, you know, make oh, yeah. sure it goes through in the future. You're right. Um. Then it goes to the infamous scene. You see uh, Colin, you know, Farrell's character, old... Um, Ray. Huh, Ray. Uh, talking to his little voice recorder. Gets the... And you hear he gets the uh, information where this Aspen kid's address is. And drives on out there. Walks up to the door. Beats on it. You know, and he's talking to the dad about hey I didn't talk to him about some stolen property da, da, da. He, you know, the dad's hesitant but he brings him on out there he closes the door and, you know you're a little shit you know what it is the bullying kid and the dad's like hey 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 and you know but right before that you see him slide on the brass knuckles and he I'm says talking. fucking evil at 12 yeah. he's like hey hey you can't talk to my son that way and just jaws smokes him. him smokes him Takes him down one shot, which it should. I mean, oh, I mean, his jaw's probably broke. He's missing teeth. The works, cheeks probably shattered. Anyway, and so he starts talking to this kid, and you know, you start you bully another kid. I want to jack Did you. you like up. the exact quote? Oh, I, I wrote it down. It is brutal. Um, if you I bully would, anybody ever again, I will come back and butt fuck your father in front of you with your mom's headless corpse. In your front lawn. Yeah, in your damn lawn. And 12 my ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then just leaves him there with his dad and goes back to the car. And at this point, I am collecting my jaw off the floor and putting it back. He know. just beats the shit out of this kid's dad in front of him. And, and what then you've just, done to your dad? What you've done? You know, I was like. I want you to know this is for you. You know, you did this. Yeah. I was like, man. Brutal. I got to be honest. This is brutal. This is a wicked scene. But I am the most interested in Ray Falcor or whatever his name is. Oh, yeah. Falcor. Like I said, this was another scene where this is the scene that got the most feedback. 
by far of the entire oh absolutely. I could, absolutely everybody was talking about the brutality and different things but you know there was a lot of people out there applauding you know that hey you know, bullies need to recognize and all this kind of stuff and I was like no, oh, I'm uh, beating the crap out of the dad it's like, yeah, oh. no, you no. know but um, yeah uh, this was this was a to some people this was a fist pumping moment of action and Exhilaration. I wouldn't call it fist pumping for myself, but I would say it was a good jolt of action, not something you would typically see and shows you the dynamic of a character. But let me just say this. This is what this scene really brought me back to season one, where Woody Harrelson walks into a jail cell, rolls his sleeves up with the two boys that had basically ran a train on his daughter and told him, like you know I can file charges or we can settle this right here and he proceeds to beat the dog shit (laughs) out of what do you we think 17 year old boys or something like that you know and that's the lesson man to man yeah you know it's like damn it yes this is what I want this is what you don't get in your network TV shows and shit this is the dark side of people you don't get that in reality yeah, do, well, that you know of. That's what that I'm you know saying. Of. Exactly, yeah, that you know. Of. That's a good point. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give you that. Uh, oh, yeah, it's just this is a real throwback to that scene to me, and I fucking love it, dude. I really do. I'm with you, man. I, I, I thought it was one of the best parts of the show. I think, like I said, it was it was such a jolt, but it was a, a good one, you know, to show you what, what kind of direction and what kind of character. Like I said, it's gonna make it's gonna make a big dynamic for the future. Right, but like I say, with the Woody Harrelson scene, you just not like you felt good about what happened, you know. You were just like, damn, that's what I like to see. I like to see him take those chances, you know, show you something on TV that you don't see anywhere else. You just don't. You just don't see that in any other shows. No, no, and. Kudos to HBO for you know going that direction and making it that much more tantalizing in our minds. Yeah, because I'm full on invested in his character no, so far. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Um, goes to a back to the Cadillac and it parks, and you see somebody dragging Casper's body um, over to uh, an area, and it cuts away real quick. So they give you little tidbits of you know, what's happened to him down the road. Um, you see uh, Paul Taylor Kitsch's character um, in bed with his girl, and uh, he, you know he gives her a little "I gotta go" side job. You know she knows that he's off, you know the force right now, but you know he's he wants to go. He's not gonna stay. And she questions, "Will you ever stay?" Uh, and he's like, oh, "I swear, I promise." You know all this kind of stuff, and he leaves. Um, and then of course he hops onto his, his motorcycle. No helmet, uh, which in California state law, you do have to have a helmet, I believe. Uh, <laughs> but I guess if you're a police officer, you can do that. I know in our wonderful state of Mississippi, you have to have a helmet. Um, anyway, uh, drives along at night, and he's going pretty fast. Decides to accelerate, catch another gear. Um, then all of a sudden, just flips the lights off, and you see, they show the speedometer hitting 99, 100, 101. I mean, it seems like a good four, five, six seconds that he's like this. I mean, terrifying as to be. Woo! And then you can see it in his face. He's like, he's scared, but he like wants it to be over. You know, it's yeah. like taking that chance. I'm just like, man, it's brutal. Guy's got some demons. 
Man, yeah. he's got some demons. But when that bike stops and he flicks the lights on, and you see that Casper just sitting there, I thought that was a cool scene. All right, I have a problem with this. If you're going 100 miles an hour, he stopped awfully quick without even rolling the bike over on the side. Well, he is a motorcycle cop. They are about as thin, good as you can get. Thin. I'm going with that. I'm going to call BS on this part. This I'm is, not going to give it too much grief. Um, ah, give me a break, man. The guy's going 100, flips his lights on, and all of a sudden, you know, the camera shows him going off the road into gravel. I'm sorry. I don't see anybody just keeping your you know, keeping it straight up and down. If he laid it down right there and kind of got up limping a little bit and pulled his bike over and all of a sudden the lights hit in, it had been a much more believable scene to me. No, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the the criticism of that, but I'd still like the scene of the lights flicking no, on. I do and like where he's like, hmm, and he kind of flips the light over and you see this guy sitting at the bench and it's just kind of like, kind of eerily creepy, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of really kind of crazy um of course it flashes an industrial park scene again it shows Colin Farrell at the bar uh it shows events at the same bar and they're not sitting together and then all of a sudden they are uh, this woman is singing the most depressing and god awful song in the entire episode yeah this is my least favorite life yeah this is the song or the lyric that's like Jeez. I was just like, I mean, you couldn't make the scene more depressing. Um, you, and then you find out Colin Farrell's character, Ray, is dirty. He gives him all the police files, all this stuff. He slips him an envelope full of cash. Well, he tells him, you know, they won't, he won't be writing that story anymore. It was all his, all his files on the Vice yeah. story. So it, it's obvious that their relationship has flourished into a negative one or dirty cop, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, you know, and he starts giving him a hard time about how hey, you're supposed to savor that drink and different things, and he's just chugging them down like it's going to try out of style. again. <laughs> yeah. It's the second one. You know, and he he starts asking, so you seen anybody? And uh, you know, maybe a woman. He goes. What else would I be seeing? You know, <laughs> I was like this is a good little line of levity. I thought that was he good. says he gave up on all of it. Yeah, so. he's like you know, um, and of course uh, his uh, Frank's character's uh, uh, right hand man comes over and says, "Hey, they're at this place. We need to go visit them." You know, so he he gets up and tells him, "Hey, I'll see you again soon." Um, then it cuts away to Rachel McAdams' character, and she's gambling at a casino. Um, you know, drinking down, getting sloshed, getting sloshed, and losing chips, and um, and then this is part where you see him kind of flip the the bike's headlight over, and you see the body and the whole okay. nine yards. And he kind of got they went crazy with the kind of the order there, um, and then all of a sudden when that happens, you you see a scene of Colin at the. Colin Farrell's character Ray at the bar asleep and they're putting all the chairs in and they're like oh just let him sleep he'll be okay and then his phone rings Rachel McAdams phone rings and this is right after Taylor walked over and checked his uh, glasses and realized this guy ain't too good you know <laughs> calls 911 um, and so then you see every all your characters converge in the same spot you know um, Ray Annie Paul um, Annie's partner, which you don't get his name really. Elvis. Yeah. Elvis? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they're all there and they're just kind of looking at 
Casper's body and, you know, the glasses are missing. And it looks like they're been gouged out. Uh, and somebody makes a comment of that uh, it was a chemical burn. That somebody poured a chemical in the eyes and just burned out. Eesh, I didn't even hear that part. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they finally shows the police officers and introduce themselves, you know, name to name, who they were. One worked for sheriff, one for this. And, um, and then it has this really cool camera effect and of the it shows them all standing at the body right there on this coastline you know a coastal highway and the camera pans away you know the whole crime scene and um and the show wraps did you get this part though all right i understood rachel mcadams being there she got the call uh taylor kitch character was the first on the scene basically but he's suspended with pay so i'm not sure other than his testimony of like or his statement what he'll be involved with it, you know. But why were they waiting for Ray? Is he a detective? Well, all right, here's what, why. What is Ray? He was on the missing persons case. Of That's Casper. right. It is his case. It's That's his right. case because he's missing persons. You're right. And then this was on Annie's turf for the scene. But that doesn't. But since it was a missing person slash kidnapping. It would technically be his case from where he's from, and so it's going to be a joint task force. But is he is he missing purpose? Missing persons kidnapping, or well, was he was, trying he, to get it? It was his case. They put him on a miss since he was missing. They put him on it, and then he clarified as a kidnapping, which thus made it a missing case, missing person case. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're going at, but yeah, it it gave legitimacy to why he had to be there. No, I understand. It's his case. I, I, I completely just blanked on that. But what I'm saying is, is like, I wish they would do a little better of describing what their positions are. Like, I'm well aware that Taylor Kitsch is just a, a bike cop on the beat. Well, the other one was a, a detective for the sheriff's department, and he was a detective for whatever police station he worked for. I did say that. I'm a detective such and such. I'm detective such okay. and such. Okay. Well, McAdams' partner, Elvis, uh, it's like, why are we waiting on this guy? And he shows up, and he says, this is bullshit, and he walks away. Right, Almost as if he's not allowed. Well, this is like a – I think that um, Colin Farrell's position, small-town cop, you know, not much jurisdiction, you know, yeah, he's a detective, da-da-da. Um, he shouldn't even be involved with this case, and that's why Elvis there is pissed off. Yeah, because it's not him. a missing person. This guy's been murdered. You know? So him. why is we having to wait on somebody for a missing person's case? And he said, where are you from? And he said, Vincey. Yeah, you know, and I was like, I, he's like, is that I, the city? He goes, kinda. You yeah, know what I'm saying like that's it makes it smell like like you know you're a small town, you know, grubby little cop. You know, we're the sheriff's department of the county that handles this kind of stuff. Why in the hell are we gonna have to work with you on this? Yeah, I don't know, I, and I'm sure that'll be a conflict moving forward. But I wish I had a little more explanation of each of their role. Right in the departments they work for. Right, you know what? What is McAdams? Like, what is she? She's a sheriff. She's a detective for the sheriff's department. A detective serving foreclosure. That's what I'm saying. It's it's whack. Yeah, so that's what's wrong with that whole problem, that whole part right there. That I told you. Oh, but either way, a detective immediately jumping on to a missing person case. All of it. Like, I need to know what they are, what titles they hold. You know, I just right. want to see it. Yeah, it, it, it definitely has some thinness to it. Well, just some. Like even a couple words missing that could have just explained it a little better, right? Um, and then that was credits right there. Uh, you know, rolled rolled up the credits and goes through all that. And 
I thought the, uh, like I said before, I thought it was good. Uh, it was a lot of information. It was a lot going on, and they waited to the end to kind of give you where the show was going to go. You know, the whole plot and synopsis. Um, in your mind, what was we'll go through the you know, our next part of the show is like the best and worst. What what do you think the uh, worst part of the show was? Worst part, I think, is the serving foreclosure notices because just. I've just never heard of that before. It was so out of place. I'm I'm right there with you. I thought that was weird. I thought it was. It's really going to have to have something in the next episode or two, or something that's going to show a payoff that that, that was integral to the overall story. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is it's like the police departments become so, you know, underfinanced that they have to just that or they're punishing them because their rage the is a joke yeah. or like you said it's all part of the corruption that this is a, they're showing you people who are having to get kicked out of their house right for the for whatever reasons and developments I'm hoping so they just didn't do a real good job of giving you any clarification on that and it just it really kind of was a thorn in my side for this entire episode for that part that part and of course her dad's character David Morris like that I, I didn't I wasn't a fan of that I, like I said I I think they missed on that. I think he's a phenomenal actor. He's just not the guy I think I would have chose for that kind of per, for that purview. Um, you know, overall, I think the what was your best part? Well, avoiding the part where he beats the kid's dad up. I think I really like the part where he put the ski mask on. I love the filming, the filming of that scene of seeing the blinds move and you just hearing the the blows he's taken, you know, I think that was kind of a cool, I, I give that to the director, you know, and cinematographer about how they decided to, to frame that shot. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. I mean, it was a bonus to me to have him come out, put the ski mask on and the whole finger up and shh, you know, and then go up there and be the, you know, a guy, it, it was the first part of the first episode that got your heart pumping and going, this show is going to go to the same levels of dark as the first season did, and maybe even better because they're going to piece of crap out of that guy's kid. You know, this guy and his kid right, watching um, that it's going to it's going to reach those levels and maybe even surpass it. And so it was it was the quality moment for me. Um, that it, when it, like I said, it showed that level it's going to go to, and I think that's what I'm looking forward to. I most. think it'll be dark, but I think it'll be dark in a different way. Oh yeah, you know, season one was. Carcosa and some seriously dark, horrific stuff. This yeah, will, I think, old the, religious Louisiana, you know, stuff. Yeah, this will show more the dark side of humanity. You know, mm. like the real gritty, nasty. You this know. is the gutters of the world, right here. You know, well, it just form. Even the people you might idolize, like police officers, how nasty they can be. You know, just borderline evil people you know exactly i'm with you there i'm totally with you um let's go into some feedback um let's see you know i had i had several um people that you know when i was checking the email and uh twitter and i uh got some good ones you know i will tell you that you know 90 percent of them it was just i hate you know nothing against our fans or the fans of the show but 90% 90% of people just did a lot of comparing to season one to season two. And uh, I was afraid that might happen. I was afraid I'd be one of those kind of people. And even in this uh, even in this podcast, we've done some comparisons to season one. But I think we do it in a manner that 
the reason we loved season one, we're anticipating the same love for season two. And I think so far they're doing a good job of doing it, going in that same direction. And, but giving us different scenarios, different scenery, different things, different characters, different amount of characters. And so I'm hooked. I, you know. oh, I'm already into it. I want the same joy I got from season one, but I don't want the same story. Exactly. You know, exactly. Or the same, even the same style. I don't need it. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm digging how they're doing these character dynamics, you know, and giving you the background and seeing where they're going to go and how they're going to fit in. Um, you know, and a bold prediction, I'll go ahead and tell you now, like I'll tell everybody else, is that we have four characters. Not all four characters are going to make it to the end. That's my prediction right now. I'm putting it on there. Go ahead and stamp it. Write it somewhere if you want to. One of them, if not more, are not going to make it. Speaking of predictions, we already have our first prediction. All right, hit me. From Nick. Prediction is Colin Farrell will never take a shower and wash his hair. <laughs> Taylor will never morph into a werewolf, and Vince Vaughn will never be able to shake the smirk that would lead to a very funny line. Funny line. Oh, my Lord. Farrell's drinking and substance abuse and crazy behavior is a turnoff. I will only watch the show because I love Rachel McAdams. <laughs> really? Now we all know all the, the four, that's the one you're falling in love with? Now, we all know the bad guys in the first episode. So I'm betting the wife and the Russian guy have something to do with the city manager's death, mostly because they plucked his eyes out. Very old country. I like that. Good theory. Yeah. Uh, so this guy thinks it's Ossip Os- Os- and Vaughn's wife, which they did have a strange... Rapport? Yeah, kind of. But see, I think the wife's been there since day one. I think the wife's been there with bad Frank and now want to go straight Frank. So you think the whole him going legit is not something she wants? She likes him being a badass? Maybe she likes is, bad Frank. This is her way of making sure that uh, he stays that way because she's a power tripping. Right. And I read this prediction and I was like, damn, man, I really like... Because you have the Russian dude, you have Asip, who maybe wants to pull Frank back in. And you have her who maybe likes bad Frank right? and pull him back in. Well, now you say that the first episode has to show you the bad guy. You, you know, God, I'm comparing it to season one. You don't see the bad guy until like the fifth or sixth episode in, um, in season one. I think he might be in the first episode. No, not the guy with the burnt you know, cheeks. and uh, Yeah, he's cutting the grass at the school. He is the guy riding the lawnmower. Cutting the grass of the empty I school. I think it was in the first episode. Maybe it wasn't, but that's the first time you see him, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I like the theory, Nick. I think you're on the money. Um, I, I'd i say it's the best theory that's come across my, you know. That's really the only prediction I saw, and I thought it was a damn good one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it only predicts who the bad guy is. It doesn't predict where each of our characters are right. going or anything like that you. other than his comedic you know not washing his hair well, and so well, here's like the other nick we got the email from he says uh guys am i the only one who is confused nearly the entire time of the episode i still plan on sticking out for the a few more episodes to see where it leads but can y'all please help clear this up uh, I hope that our rundown helped clear it up a little bit and some information we did earlier, Nick. Uh, I will tell you this. I decided to mention your email because my wife was in the same shoes you were. She looked at me several times and goes, eh? 
what did I just miss there? What, what's going on here? And there were some parts. If you're not really, really paying attention and really going after, you're not going to link this to that and so on. Um, but, you know, I, I completely I understand where you're coming from. And so, you know, we're good there. If I if I have one, you know, piece of advice for watching this show and watching the first episode specifically, turn your volume up. Because a lot of the conversation and dialogue that I think is kind of important is a little low sometimes, you know. Right. Especially with Colin Farrell's, Farrell's, Farrell's character. Right. Um, I think sometimes when he's like, like with the, the part I'm confused, not confused, but I'm curious if the captain and the guy in the suit were dirty cops as well. Like their dialogue was a little low and I just didn't get it at all, I don't think. Right. You know, so... I would suggest turn your volume up and really pay attention. I'm with you. Uh, Shane says, uh, guys, they need to give this show just a different title. It'll make a, such a difference. Uh, Woody and Matthew and everything else in episode one and season one were so much more captivating from the beginning. Um, the story, the incredible acting, the locale, the directing, and the feeling of wanting to know more about these characters and so on. Um, I'm not a fan of the casting of Vince Vaughn. I hope the show gets better, but... It will never, I think, compare to the amazing acting story of the first season. Your thoughts? Um, I mean, this is the common thread yeah. that we get. I, I, that's why I put this on here. He, he wrote it best, and you know, he gave some different things. Um, to answer each part of your deal here, he says the show should be given a different title. Um, no, I think I like that it's True Detective. I think it, you know, once we have a third season, if this one works out well, and maybe a fourth, you'll realize that each is different and carries their own candle, and uh, and good in their own way. Exactly. I just, whenever you follow something as good as the first season was, you're always going to immediately compare, and it's going to be difficult to do. That's why sequels, yeah, they're great and all, but most of the time they don't compare to the initial you know and i think a lot of that has to do with expectations exactly let me, let me read this feedback and this is from paul all right remember last year after the first episode my husband said paul paula sorry my husband said he didn't care for it but gave it a shot again the following week he and i ended up loving it certainly not giving up because of a view after review of one episode and that's and a that's good attitude ex- to have that's exactly how i felt last year too First episode, I was like, holy shit, this is a lot to take in. You know, really cool. I like the location. I like the actors. But just like this year, it gave you a whole lot of just dialogue that's like, oh my God, can I take 10 episodes of this? A ton of setup. Yeah. So last year, people crushed the first episode too. Well, here's funny you say that. Chris, um, another email, um, says the first four episodes of season one. Uh, had a lot of boring factor and a lot of setup, but the last four episodes were incredibly amazing, making up and giving you the punch for the beginning that you had to endure. He says it'll probably be the same thing for season two. I feel like True Detective is really awesome. Uh, I wish that sometimes it would just go ahead and do a two and a half hour movie instead of trying to stretch it into an eight hour, you know, series. Uh, and I, I don't know. I like the series. I love um, the series. I'm going to get you on that, Chris. Um, but I do know what you're talking about. The first four episodes of the first season did have a lot going on. Um, but I wouldn't call them boring. Um, oh, my God. The fourth episode? You can never call that boring. Yeah. Um, Probably the best episode of television ever. 
there was, I mean, there was just so much um, dynamic. They just built on those characters so much where you were just, it was so impressive. Um, and so nah, there was never a boring episode for me in the first season. But the thing is, like I say, your expectations. You love the first season. So you come in with this with high expectations and a high bar to reach. But I would tell you to go into it like you would something that you that you want to like. You know what I mean? Like don't don't go in it with the expectations so high where nothing happens. You know, nothing can happen that won't disappoint you. You know, I you know there's movies all the time that I was like I'll see the trailer and be like, no thanks, I'll never watch that. But then you'll watch it and be like. Oh, do yourself a favor and watch this. And then I'll love it. And I think that's a lot of times because I had low expectations going in, and it surprised me and blew me away. So there's nothing worse than going to a theater with high expectations. And a good movie disappoints you because your expectations were even higher than what it was. It it never could have lived up to your expectations most of the time. Yeah. Right? So I look at it just like this. A lot of people are going into this with – first, they all have the negative – that they're attaching to it before they even saw the first episode, which was, oh, Vince Vaughn, he's a comedian. He's played the same role for the past 10 movies he's in. You know, he's kind of played out. But I looked at that like, Vince Vaughn probably looked at his career too and was like, shit, I'm typecast as the same dude. Like, let me get in here and, you know, throw my hat in there, you know, and, and try something different. It's like Colin Farrell. He's done a couple roles like this, but after the first episode, I've never seen him this dark before. You know, Rachel McAdams, no one's seen her like this. You know, so I look at it like the biggest fear I had was Taylor Kitsch because he's from a high school football show. You know, I don't have any background with this guy. Oh, uh, I can just quote, you know, Battleship or. Oh, I forgot what's that, Battleship. What's that, what's that John Carter Disney? from Mars. Uh, oh, Brutally terrible stuff yes so he was my biggest wild card going into it rachel mcadams has nothing to prove to me she's awesome colin farrell awesome vince vaughn i don't know but i was excited to see him do something different first episode do you think he did a good enough job i had no problem with vince vaughn none he didn't have a lot to waste to carry either you know i mean he he had what longest sentence he had to say was you know 10 to 12 words yeah. It's not like he had a, a huge impact to make. There was nothing there was nothing where he was carrying a scene completely. You know what I'm saying? No, and you know, his wife, she's a good actress. Um I love the Russian guy. Yeah. Um so if they as long as they surround him with good people to bounce off of, I think he'll be just fine. Um I've heard some reviews about some monologue he's gonna have that's supposed to be god awful. But I don't know. I just can't let one episode get me down or no. even all the paid critics who have seen three episodes to even let them get me down. I'm just like, come on, man. People are so quick to just crush something and then end up eating their foot or their shoe, you know, at the end of the season because yeah. it turns out wonderful. Oh yeah. There, there, there ain't no doubt. I just give it time. We'll see where it goes. After three episodes, if you're still like, dog shit, then don't watch it. You know, if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. Then we understand you. Um, but I, I think it's going the right direction. I think we're okay. Don't you owe HBO that respect? <laughs> yeah. You think they put the... Now, hold on. I will tell you that I did stay and watch Ballers afterwards. 
Oh, I heard that was really bad. Oh, my God. I was like, who is the HBO exec who approved this shit? I heard the Brink wasn't so good either. Yeah, the Brink. And I hate that because Tim Robbins is one of my favorite actors. And I like Jack this, Black, too. But not... Uh, ew, ew. They but, you know They die-bombed. What? You're always going to think of Tim Robbins from Shawshank. And once again, your expectations are so high. He's typecast. You'll never reach him again. I'm sorry. He's Andy Dufresne for life. (laughs) Andy Dufresne. He wishes he could be Andy Dufresne for life. Instead, he's been dog shit for a lot of shows. I know it, man. His one pivotal role. (sighs) It's brutal. But give HBO the respect. Give Pizzolatto the respect they deserve. I realize Fukunaga's not attached anymore, and the actors are different. But they're still top level, top tier actors. Yeah, it's like I mean, what what scene in this episode did you see that was like, ugh, dog shit? He really phoned that in terrible, you know. I'm like nothing. You can't name one. Nothing. And if anything, I'll give kudos to Rachel McAdams for having the best across the board so far. Right, and the thing is, I think it's episode six and seven, or just six, maybe. If you're a Game of Thrones fan who enjoyed probably the best episode of the entire series. Hard home, Sapochnik, the director for episode six of True Detective season two. So, I mean, they got some good people in here. So, what does that tell you? Sapochnik, who did an awesome action episode of Game of Thrones. Shit, episode six is probably going to be some action. It's going to be legit. You know, so so look at it in, in that frame. You right. know? Yeah, Don't look right. at all the things that could be negative. Look at all the things there that could be positive. There's a lot of potential here. Oh, a man. lot. You know, and y'all need to be dry. Y'all need to be soaking this up like a dry sponge. I'm yeah. telling you. I just can't bring myself to focus on any of the negative stuff. It, there's no negative stuff yet to me, but focus on the stuff that could be negative. I won't nah. go there. Yeah. I just no. won't. No. Um, That's a lot of the feedback. I said we move on. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm good. Like I said, most feedback was the same stuff. Just yeah. comparing, 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 or didn't like this, didn't like that. Uh, but, uh, We'll get some more qualitative stuff going down the road. Um, you know, we're not going to, it's a little bit different than Game of Thrones. We don't have things to compare it to. There's no book knowledge. There's no this, that, and so on. So, realistically, this would be about the time we would say that, you know, uh, that's kind of a wrap for us. And then we're going to come back and do a, uh, uh, break down the preview. And we're also going to talk about, uh, we've researched what the next episode's titled and what the plot line is for it. And maybe make a few little predictions on that. And if that's not something you want to listen to, we understand. It'll be short and sweet, probably not even five minutes. Um, but I uh, just want to give you that fair warning. And so if, uh, if you're good with the cast, then we're going to call this one a wrap on this. And then uh, uh, we're not going to play music or anything. We're just going to kind of have a yeah, three-second we'll delay and then go right into the preview. And if you don't yeah. want to hear it, just cut it off at the preview. And other than that, if this is it, man, we appreciate you listening. And uh, so here's our delay. All right, we're going to the preview. Um, the preview was not long, but it did definitely give you a lot to the plot, um, where they're going, and even the next episode's uh, name and uh, little bibliography uh, kind of aligned with the preview, so I'll kind of tell you at the same time. Um, the next episode is called um, Night Finds You, and the little informational uh, plot line for it um, says that... Uh, uh, they go over Casper's uh, autopsy, and it evidently reveals several gruesome details. Um, 
Ray and Annie are um, put on point to handle the case um, and try to um, attack it from the prostitute angle. Evidently, like the, because of that house and all the stuff that's in it, they're going to be investigating the murder via you know the prostitute angle. And then um, Frank, which is Vince Vaughn's character, um, is going to be searching for his missing money. Now, if you watch the preview, um, it shows a picture of Casper and his eyes are all kind of jacked up and have these reverse slits and they're, you know, gone uh, on a slab. And like you can tell they're about to do their autopsy and they're hovering over him to talk to him about it. And the black lady who's the. I can't tell if she's a person of authority or like that, but she starts making a comment of, you know, uh, Casper, you know, the death is going to be the window. His eyes are the windows into everything. And that, like, there's some symbolism to his eyes being removed via chemical burn or whatever it was. Um, so it kind of goes a little bit like season one where there was a lot of symbolism, but you know, like the antlers on her head and the symbols on her back and different things could kind of go down that kind of same road, different direction. What do you oh, think? If they find several more gruesome details then I mean, sky's the limit on what they're going to find when they pull his clothes off. I mean, what they could find on it. Yeah. I mean, all for all we know, he's, uh, he's missing the beans and Frank too. So, you know, could be a lot of things we could, you know, I could do without seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, cuts to a, where it shows uh, there's some people dialogue and um, you learn that Annie, Rachel's character, is put as the lead on the case and Colin Farrell's character, Ray, is the second on the case. Uh, so you can, they're a joint task force. You can see that on the next preview and there's some dialogue that confirms that. And then it shows a scene where Colin Farrell's in the office with those same two, the suit and his what looks to be his commander um, with the door closed and he poses a question am I really supposed to solve this case? You know, kind of gives you that feeling of corruption. There's some definitely right. some dirty stuff going on. People are attached. That goes right back to what you were saying earlier in the rundown about how did you get that vibe? And I think that is confirmed based on what we saw in that preview right there is that there's some, uh, there's some dirty laundry attached. Yeah, it to goes this. pretty deep. Yeah. And so that could be something. Um, and then it goes to Vince Vaughn, and it shows his his uh, minions beating the crap out of somebody in a car, and he's got a dialogue in the background saying, whoever killed Casper has got my money. I'm going to get it back every stinking dime. And that was his uh, quote. Um, you know, like I said, he's beating the crap out of this guy. Here's something cool. I looked it up on the uh, website and everything like that. His, he's got three henchmen, um, and one of them's nicknames is Nails. You know, you think about people called, you know, you know Tony the Shovel or Knuckles. or No, he's actually <laughs> got a guy. His, they call him Nails. Now, he I don't think he's been introduced on the show yet. Um, you know, uh, but this little spoiler is that evidently he's called Nails because he survived a horrific nail gun attack. And so they call him Nails. Yeesh. And so uh, there's a little insight. You know, I saw that in some of my research. Pretty neat. Um and then it goes to uh, Taylor Kitch's character, uh, Paul, and uh, the girl's kind of talking to him again. And he, he he goes, you know, I just don't want to talk about what happened in the desert. And so I think it's continuing to talk about his background, his past. Uh, or he's talking about, I don't want to talk about what he saw Casper's body or what's going on. Right. Maybe he wants to keep it to himself. Um, 
And I've learned through a little bit of investigation that he's kind of the uh, lone wolf. He takes on trying to figure out this case on his own um, since he's on departmental leave and all that kind of stuff. And so I think that's where his angle is going. So I don't know if he's talking about his purse past or he's talking about the Casper case. So we'll, maybe this is that itch he needs to scratch to make him feel whole again. So we'll, we'll see. Um, and then it just that's kind of cuts away, you know, and just true detective next episode and so on. So that was kind of the whole preview and where it went from there. Um, based on the plot for the next episode and what they've shown, um, I just see just I see more I see more setup I see more development and I think you see the true scope of who's dirty who's not whose motives I think we'll get the motives for every character next episode before we really get into the neck deep good stuff okay yeah I think I mean I'm I'm amped up I mean the show's got a lot to live up to but so far I'm pretty I'm pretty hooked on yeah I'm with you there uh I can't wait till next week. Yeah, I look forward to it. Y'all hit us up um, at Bleed TV Podcast on Twitter and Bleed TV Podcast at gmail.com and give us your feedback. I know we're only a couple True Detective podcasts out there, and we'd love to build this you know, community up. So please hit us up with big amounts of feedback. Absolutely. We, we want to make – I think True Detective would be the perfect show to make it more about the feedback instead of a rundown and everything else. You know, it being the first episode and, it, you know, a lot of people just having a lot of comparison, a lot of criticism. I think when we get into the next episode and so on, I really want to dive more into the feedback, personal opinions – theories predictions things that i want to hear y'all's opinions and voices and all those things and put it out here and talk about those things more than you know every little detail of the show so and this is the perfect show for that and so um i want to make you know we're going to run through the rundown quicker and quicker and spend more time with what y'all think and where you think it's going and how that's going to roll and i think that's what's what makes it more exciting and you know make this podcast even that much more uh, tantalizing or even tasty so uh, please do hit us up at the uh, email or twitter we're looking forward to it um but other than that i think we're good and uh uh until next week guys this is bleed tv and uh, i'm zach and i'm jake and we'll catch you then bye change will come to those who have no fear but i